Amen. Amen. God, we praise you because you are the famous one. And we thank you, God, for this amazing Sunday as we think of the start of Holy Week. And we think of Palm Sunday, God. We thank you for that. We ask that you would speak to us today mightily through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Hey, hasn't this been exciting? Are you stirred up? Huh? What do you anticipate? What is it that you anticipate when you think about that? And this time of year, I've been talking to quite a few people who are anticipating things as it has to do with this week, as there's spring break and people are anticipating going away. I remember for me, Palm Sunday was a big deal when I was a kid. I don't know if you saw those kids up here and you were thinking to yourself, man, I remember when that was me. And so we handed some adults palm branches. You got them out there? Doesn't that just feel good, huh? Right? Doesn't that make you feel like a kid again? As you anticipate Holy Week. You know, the thing is, what we realize and what we know is that Jesus did the same thing. He anticipated As we see the kids up here, we can think that Jesus was a kid who went to Passover in Jerusalem as well. In Luke, it tells us that his parents never missed the Passover. Every week, or every year, it was their custom to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's what we're celebrating this week. Now, this one was special with the palm branches. But see, Jerusalem was this amazing city. It was amazing. It was like this jewel in, in all of the Mideast. And when you think about it, as Jesus came up to the Mount of Olives and began to think about ascending down into Jerusalem and going across the valley and up into the city, as he would have stopped and he would have paused and he would have looked out over the city, a shining gold temple on the midst of a giant white stone platform glimmering in the sun, an amazing sight. The temple that was supposed to be there for the worship of God but had been so misconstrued and so turned into so many other things. We're told that as he looked over Jerusalem, as as he began to think of going in, he wept. I wonder, was his mother standing by him? Over 30 years, each year, had she gone into Jerusalem with him to prepare for the Passover? See, that's what they would do. They would go in to prepare for the Passover because they needed cleansing. And there were, there were pools all over the city that would provide that cleansing. And so it formed a giant crowd. And today, the big idea here is that we're going to see that that there is a common plea in two cries that come from this crowd. There's a common plea in two cries that come from this crowd because you see there's only one crowd. That's our first point. There's only one crowd. It's the crowd that has gathered for the Passover. And they've come and they've prepared and this has come with great anticipation and great sacrifice. They would put aside funds and and all sorts of things to get ready to be able to make the trek into Jerusalem each year for the Passover. The Passover, this remarkable celebration that started when they were released from Egypt. Remember? When God had heard their call, he had heard their cry, and he was concerned about his people, so he sent Moses in to release his people. And that, that last 
that last plague, that the firstborn would die unless there was a lamb that was slain and the blood from that lamb was put over the doorposts and on the threshold. And so every year they commemorated that. Uh, There were years they didn't. There were years they were disobedient. But at the time of Christ, this was something that was incredibly special. So the anticipation, the cries that came from the crowd as they had had come to Jerusalem. Now this particular Passover was quite different. There was one a year ago where Jesus had gone up to a man in a pool. You remember in John 5? He went up to the man in the pool. Well, he wasn't in the pool. He was by the pool. He was lame for 38 years waiting to get into the pool so he could be healed. And Jesus walked up to him and he said, do you want to be well? And he said, I want to get wet. (laughs) See, he had designed how he would be healed. It would be if he got in the pool. He didn't realize that the one who would bring the healing was asking him, do you want to be well? And Jesus said, pick up your mat. Go for a walk. And so he did. So this Passover for him was a much different one. He was jumping up, and I bet he had a palm branch in his hand because he had been healed by Jesus. Jesus healed him on a Sabbath. Jesus loves healing people on a Sabbath. Amen. You ever find that time when you, when you set aside a special time to be with God that he touches you and heals you? One crowd gathered for the Passover. And on this day, this Palm Sunday, you see this year was different. As I said, there's, there's been some tension growing, hasn't there? Some great anxiety is being formed because religious leaders have just about had it with Jesus. Because he's a pretty big danger to their comfort zone. See, they'd been working really hard to get along with Rome. They, they were making the best of the situation they were in. They were greasing the right palms. They were doing all the things that they needed to to be in comfort in a very terrible situation. And this Jesus was, was putting a big risk to their comfort. So what were they going to do? You'll remember that he healed Lazarus. And that raised quite an uproar. A guy comes out of, the, out of the grave after four days dead in there and comes jumping out like this and says, hey, guess what? I'm back. And he said, not so cool. Not only are we going to kill Jesus, we're going to kill you. And so the crowd, it tells us, is whispering, is Jesus coming? Is he coming? In the middle of the temple courts, John tells us, is Jesus going to come? Is he coming for the Passover? Will he be here again? And so the anticipation is built. And Jesus comes to the top of the Mount of Olives. And a donkey is brought. And he gets on the donkey. And he starts to ride down. And people are swept away. In excitement. In enthusiasm. In joy. And they start shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. As he rides down. Who's in the crowd? Who's in the crowd? Glenn did such a good job of helping us understand who some of the kids are. But who are some of the adults? Mary's there. His mom. Mary. 
who had just poured perfume on his head. And I wonder if the fragrance filled the crowd of the nard that she had put on his head. Caiaphas, the high priest, the one who said it would be very good if one died for many, was he in the crowd? The man who refused to believe. Was he standing anywhere near Mary, the one who threw herself into total worship and sacrifice? Judas was in the crowd, no doubt, walking very close to Jesus, just as he had for the last three years. Judas represents the people who pretend to know Jesus, who pretend to worship him. Who else was in the crowd? Remember the ten lepers who were healed? And nine of them went away and didn't say a word. Only one came back and said thank you. Do you think that one was in the crowd? Was he there expressing gratitude and living a life of gratitude? Remember the man that Jesus healed who had all the demons in him? Legion, it was called. And they went into the pigs and the pigs jumped off the cliff. And he said, I'll follow you. And Jesus said, no, don't come follow me. Go tell everybody what God has done for you. So he did. He went and told everybody he knew what Jesus had done. Was he in the crowd? How many others were there? How many had he told who came? Because he told all that Jesus had done for him. In the first chapter of Mark, we're told that Jesus was healing in Capernaum. And as he was healing there, Early the next morning, he got up to, be with Jesus, or to meet with God. And as he met with God, Peter came up to him and said, hey, you got to come back into Capernaum because there's a lot of people who are waiting to be healed. And Jesus said, God's told me to go this way. My father's directed me this way. So all those people were left and not healed. Were there people in the crowd who hadn't been healed and had been ignored? Do they represent those of us who, who look at other people who God has touched with resentment because we haven't been? See, who's in the crowd? And that crowd gathers for that entire week of the Passover. Same crowd. And on Sunday, there are great cries of Hosanna. Praise to God, to the King. But we see, as we look at there's a common plea in the two cries of the crowd, we see that there's one crowd. Which role would I play in that crowd? And then we see there's one plea in these two cries. Because there's a second cry that comes on Friday. It's there in the top of your notes. It says, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. This same crowd gets a different voice come Friday. Come Friday, the motivation isn't for praise. The motivation is for murder. Crucify him. Same crowd. How does that happen? How does a crowd get swept one way or the other like that? How many times in the silence does one voice begin to call? I've often wondered, who is that one who first cried Hosanna? and started a whole crowd crying Hosanna. Who's the first one who cried, crucify him, crucify him? 
and the whole crowd turns. And the same people are in the crowd. But maybe it's some of those people who pretended to follow Jesus who started shouting, crucify him. Maybe it's those people who refused to believe Jesus. Maybe it's those who were a little put off because they had not been healed, didn't believe that Jesus would heal them. It really didn't matter if he healed other people. Why didn't he heal me? Crucify him. Maybe it were the people who weren't grateful for what he had done. I deserved, I deserved to be healed. Crucify him. Same crowd. How many different times do I get faced with a situation where I look one way or the other at a situation, and depending on how I look at it, it drives my heart. So here comes Jesus into the city of Jerusalem on an amazing Passover feast, one like no other, one that will change history forever. And two cries come from the crowd. Hosanna. Lord, save us. That's what that means. God, save us. And when it was cried, it was like, God, save us from the Roman rulers. We're tired of this oppression. Put an immediate end to my immediate problem. Save us. How many times do we cry that? God, I'm in a place that hurts. Fix it. Save me. Save me from this situation. By the time they're crying this, it's come to mean an almighty praise to the Messiah, to the Messiah King. Praise to the Messiah King. The next day, he's in the temple, and the children are there, and they've still got some leftover branches off the ground. Oh, they're broken and beat up, and they're hitting each other with them. You saw some of that up here, you know? Because <laughs> it's hard to keep your mind focused on things when you're small. Well, once you get older, no problem, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd be hitting people with them, too. And the chief priest said, do you hear what they're saying? They're crying, Hosanna, to the son of David. Do you hear what they're saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Yes. Truth is, Jesus heard what they were saying way more than you could imagine. Because you see, by being called son of David... They were calling him the king. Son of David would be a king. So as they cried, Hosanna to the son of David, they were saying, please, king, king God, save us. And then five days later, crucify him. There's a common plea as Pilate brought Jesus out and said, here's your king, what should I do with your king? And they said, kill him. Let him die. Crucify him. 
the common plea in those two cries from the crowd is the common plea that comes from each of us. Because you see, asking for God to save us is asking for Jesus to die. Asking for God to save me is asking for Jesus to be crucified. Because the only way, the only way that any one of us can have any salvation whatsoever is if Jesus dies on the cross. So we cry, Hosanna. And we do that with great excitement. And Jesus loves those words of praise, but he knows behind that is us also crying out, Jesus, die for me because there's no other way. Could that be true? Let's put a different thought on Easter for me this week as I've thought about that. I was quite comfortable judging all those people who cried crucify me on Friday in the past. But it's me, isn't it? And so we see that Jesus responds to the common plea. Jesus responds to that because he came to seek and save that which was lost. It wasn't a surprise to him that he was coming to go to the cross. It surprised everybody else. But it didn't surprise him. It's what he came for, to seek and save the lost. And so on the cross, as he hangs, he looks down because the purpose he came was to seek and save that which was lost. And he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive Chuck. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. You see, the reason he came was to die so that we could be forgiven. And listen, only the one who took on himself the vengeance for the penalty of my sin has the ability to ask God to forgive me. Every one of my sins is a sin against God. But Jesus, the one who paid the price for my sin, can stand before God and say, God, please forgive Chuck. And he's asking that for each one of you. See, his name will be called Jesus. <laughs> because he will save his people from their sin. Why me? Why me? I cried, crucify him. I did. It is finished. It is finished, he said from the cross. I have paid the price. I have defeated Satan. I have secured salvation for those who believe. It is finished. Oh, wow. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus we cry Hosanna to. And he did that 
for the joy set before him, our verse tells us this year. Who for the joy set before him. See, that's, that's me. That's you. We are the joy set before him. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So Jesus, on this particular Passover, on the Mount of Olives, looked over Jerusalem. And he wept over Jerusalem because he knew that he was going into Jerusalem to answer the request that was made by the crowd, the request to save by dying on the cross. And he wept not because he would be dying. I believe he wept And he wept tears of joy for those who would receive, for those who would understand, and for those who would accept the gift of salvation Jesus offered. He wept with tears of joy. And he wept with tears of sorrow for those who would reject it, knowing that he had paid the price, but that they would not turn to him, and rather they would walk away satisfied that God had been killed and that would no longer influence their lives. And he saw both as an eternal decision So what about you? Have you embraced and recognized the response to your request? Have you cried for God to save you? Have you realized that he has? And have you accepted his gift of salvation, his death on the cross, as the penalty for your sin? Asking Jesus to save you is asking him to die. And for the joy set before him, he does that. God, I... I stand amazed by that. I know me, Lord. And I know where I am and who I am without you. And so I cry, Hosanna. God, save me. And I cry, crucify him. Because I realize there's no other way for my sin debt to be paid. pray if there's anyone in this room today who has not trusted you that today would be the day they would meet you that you would not have to weep tears of sorrow over them but rather you could weep tears of joy knowing that they will be with you forever in the place that you've gone to prepare for them God if any of us have been taking it for granted shake us please and remind us Let us never say Hosanna the same again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.